Yeah, actually, I only have one question. I don't know who. Uh, okay, good, good, excellent. Glad somebody covered that. Um, but it, the question was out of the Revelation chapter number ten, and uh, it talks about uh, uh, John eating the book. And the question was, does he literally eat the book? Well, it's kind of difficult to to say for sure whether he literally eats the book. But in Ezekiel chapter 2, it seems like Ezekiel is asked literally to eat the book. Then it, the same scene is repeated in Jeremiah. And I would say that the, the, the common sense way to look at this would be that he really was asked to eat the book. Now, the point being with the eating of the book was, in the case of Ezekiel, he was to be prepared for a tremendous prophetic undertaking, and he was asked to give forth God's word. And that the idea there is that he would be completely absorbed. It would become a part of him, and that's what he would give forth is God's word. So I think it is the same case uh, with John here, as he is asked in verse number 9, And I went unto the angel, and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, and eat it up, and it shall make your belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I ate it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy. So that's the, the swing of the whole thing is preparation for prophecy. And so we see this uh, through the Word of God. I turn over to Brother Webster. I think you. Good evening, everyone. I think my question might be a little bit easier than his. Um, this question says, Why are believers commanded to believe on the name of Jesus Christ? Don't they already believe? And this question comes from a quotation in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, which says this, And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Um, that is, maybe seems a little confusing to ask the question, uh, why are we commanded to believe? Aren't we already believers? Well, I think when we understand the nature of faith, faith is not a one-time uh, event. Faith is a, a journey, something we start on and we continue on. Now, just think of what the scriptures say about this. Uh, it, three times it's quoted from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Uh, our lives as believers are to be continually a life of faith. And then when you look at the life of the disciples, you'll notice that um, though they believe in God, and though they believe in the Lord Jesus, they often are weak in their faith, aren't they? We find weaknesses in their faith. The Lord Jesus says to them, you believe in God, believe also in me. It's not that they didn't believe in him, but maybe their faith wasn't mature or complete as yet. They didn't fully get the full grasp of the revelation of who he really was, the Almighty God. They certainly believed that he was the Messiah, but they had trouble. Remember on the boat on the sea when the wind and waves came up, and uh, they, they woke him up in the boat and said, Lord, we perish. 
Their faith was weak, and the Lord Jesus had to say, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Yet they believed in him as their Messiah, but they didn't have strong enough faith to believe that the Lord Jesus wasn't going to let them go down while he was in the boat with them. So I hope that answers the question. Yes, we can be commanded to have faith because we have holes in our faith, weaknesses in our faith, and we need to believe continually. Like the man who said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. So that answers that question, I hope. Now this evening, I want to talk to you on a very important subject that's dear to my heart. And I'll begin by asking you a question. Do you feel that your love for the Lord Jesus is all that it ought to be? I suppose all of us, if we think about that question, would realize that we don't love him as we ought to. And I suppose there's nothing greater to inspire our love, not only for God, but for one another, than a meditation on God's love for us. As we look at divine love, it changes us, and it molds us to be more like the Lord Jesus. So with that in mind, I want to look at some characteristics of divine love. And for that, we'll turn to John's Gospel, chapter 21. John, chapter 21. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, just a few verses, and I'm assuming that most of us are familiar with the story of the Lord's dealing with Peter on this occasion. So beginning at verse 14, it says, This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, sorry, yeah, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. That is sufficient for our reading. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our meditation tonight. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your scriptures given for our instruction. We pray tonight you will display before us your divine love as displayed through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to behold that love in such a way that it will impact our hearts and change us to be more like him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you can hear me okay. I think the microphone is cutting in and out a bit. Can you hear me okay? Very good. Well, as we look at divine love, I want you to think about love, God's love. In 1 Corinthians 14, where, or 13 rather, where Paul writes to the Corinthian church, what's the first thing that he tells us about love? That famous passage which tells us the character of divine love. Do you remember what it says? Love is love is 
Patient, right. Patient. That's the first thing we learn. One of the beautiful aspects about love is its patience. And we see this as the Lord Jesus deals with Peter. Now think of it. The night that Jesus was to be betrayed into the hands of men, he met in the upper room with his disciples. And as he tells his disciples that he's going away and that they can't follow, Peter is confused and upset. And he says, Lord, I'm willing to go with you even, even unto death. Even if all others stumble, I won't stumble. And Jesus has to tell Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. That must have been very upsetting for Peter, but we know as the evening progresses and the Lord Jesus is arrested and brought into uh, the high priest's house, Peter lingers at a distance in the shadows and he's identified in the crowd as one of his disciples and he swore with oaths and curses that he did not know the man. And he did so three times. And Luke's gospel tells us that uh, when he said it the third time, that the Lord Jesus looked at him. And undoubtedly their eyes met. And Peter realized at that moment what a failure he had been. The one he had seen walk on the water, raise the dead, feed the multitudes, care for them and love them, his friend, who he had a, such a close relationship to, he denied even knowing him. And now he realized what a miserable failure he had been, disappointing the heart of his master. And the scripture tells us he went out and wept bitterly. He felt the pain of what he had done. And I'm sure Peter was struggling in his own heart with his failure. But then news came early on Sunday morning that the tomb had been disturbed. The women came and said they had rolled away the stone and the body was moved. They don't know where he is. And so Peter, being anxious as he always is, runs to the tomb with John and he goes inside and he sees the clothes lying there that had wrapped the body of Jesus. And he's confused and dismayed and wondering what's happened. What's happened? And now, a little uh, later, they get a report that uh, some have seen him alive. Now, that would have been thrilling news. Very exciting news. But how did Peter feel after having denied his master? Well, that evening, as they were assembled in the upper room, the Lord Jesus appeared to, to his disciples. And uh, Luke tells us that when they saw the Lord, they were glad. And that would include Peter, undoubtedly. Very glad to see his master. But I can't help but think that Peter might have been in the shadows, a little afraid, a little uncertain what the Lord might say to him because he has denied him three times. And so while there's excitement, there's this mixed emotion, I believe, in Peter as he wonders what the Lord might say to him. But on that occasion, the Lord Jesus doesn't say anything to Peter. At least we don't have any record of what he said. And then a week goes by, and the Lord Jesus appears again to his disciples in the upper room. This time, Thomas is there. He wasn't there for the first occasion. And the Lord Jesus deals with Thomas, because Thomas had said, unless I see the wounds in his hands and his side, I won't believe. 
And the Lord Jesus comes and deals directly with Thomas. But again, we don't see him speaking to Peter. And it's some days later, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And six of his uh, others of the disciples decide to go along with them. And they fish all night, catch nothing. And then they hear this voice on the shore saying, have you any meat? And they say, no. And he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And they did, and they caught a great draft of fish. And at that moment, John perceives who it is. And he says to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Peter, being Peter, jumps into the water, swims to shore, all excited to see the Lord Jesus. But again, we don't see any conversation ensuing right away. He's anxious to see him, but perhaps a little bit apprehensive still, wondering, well, perhaps he's just let it go, and it's just, we'll forget about that. But that wasn't the case. The Lord Jesus feeds them breakfast, and then he turns to Peter, and he says, Do you love me? Do you love me? I cannot think of a more gentle and loving approach to trying to win Peter back and restore him into full fellowship with himself. Notice here the patience of the Lord Jesus. He didn't come to Peter hastily to rebuke him and correct him when he denied his master. And I think we learn something here about divine love, that it's patient. And oftentimes, you and I, when somebody offends us or hurts us or we see a problem in their life, we're very anxious to go and correct that, to make it right. But here we can learn from the example of our Lord to be patient. We can afford to give it time to think about it and pray about it. I'm not saying we let things go. There are things that need to be addressed. But if we give it a little more time, a little more thought, a little more prayer, often we'll go in a more gentle and gracious spirit and be able to build on reconciliation and not further the problem. So we learn this lesson that divine love is patient as we look at how the Lord Jesus dealt with this erring disciple. But also we learn that divine love is persistent. The Lord Jesus was not content to allow this matter to go unattended. He loved Peter far too much to allow there to be a gap in the relationship between himself and Peter. Undoubtedly, as we think about this, Peter had something in his heart because he knew that he had denied his master. And so the Lord Jesus wants to confront Peter and his love and deal with him. But he waits for just the right moment to do it. But he does persist. He does continue. You know, oftentimes in our human relationships, we often allow gaps and uh, coldness to enter into our relationships. But that's not what divine love is like. Sometimes in a marriage or in a family or at work or wherever it is, we allow these gaps to come in and we allow a coldness to be there. We don't greet that person the way we would somebody else. And when we look at the Lord Jesus, we see his love is persistent. He's not willing that that gap exists, that there's any problem between he and his disciples. And so he goes to make it right. Perhaps you can think of somebody in your life where you have allowed some gap to exist. There is a problem between you and them. And there's just something in your heart that says, no, I'm not willing to go. I'm not willing to sort out that problem right now. And a little bit of 
a hurt or a little bit of offense in my heart that I'm not willing to let go. But the Lord Jesus loves us so much. Whenever there's some problem in our life that keeps us at distance from Him, He will persist and He will follow us until He draws us back into that sweet, intimate, full fellowship with Himself. And so He runs after Peter at just the right way at the right time to draw him back into fellowship with himself. Also, divine love seeks peace. Similar to the idea of being persistent, but a little different aspect. Love always seeks peace. And we see this in the Lord Jesus dealing with Peter. He's not trying to aggravate the situation. He's not trying to make Peter feel worse than he already does. He knows the heart of Peter. He knows he wept bitterly, and he feels very uh, upset about his own failure. And so he comes with a motive of reconciliation, to make it right. And so we see him seeking peace. You know, he had every right to be angry with him. He could have said, Peter, you rotten, miserable failure. Why would you do that? Why would you, after all I've done for you, after all I've taught you, how could you deny me like that? But the Lord Jesus doesn't do that. He's very gentle, isn't he? Very gentle with Peter. And uh, his only motivation there is to seek peace with uh, Peter, to make it right, reconciliation. So we should ask ourselves question, when I'm going to sort out a problem uh, in my own life with somebody, somebody's offended me or hurt me or in some way, What's my heart? Am I seeking peace? Am I seeking to reconcile? You know, we see this oftentimes marriages. Marriages are putting two sinners together and there's going to be conflict, isn't there? And when that conflict arises, how do we solve the problem? Well, so often I've witnessed what happens is we tend to take the issue, whatever it might be, and we exalt that issue up here somewhere. And the relationship gets pushed down here. But that's not the way divine love works. Divine love says the relationship is most important and the issue, it's not that the issue doesn't matter, but it shouldn't outweigh the importance of the relationship. The relationship is what's most important. And we see when we read in the scriptures about God's love for us, what does he value? He values a relationship with you and I. And it cost him dearly to offer us that relationship. And so we should be willing to pay some cost to maintain good relationships and reflect that love to others. So divine love always seeks after peace. If you're going to confront somebody, ask, ask yourself in your heart, what are you seeking? Are you seeking to prove yourself right, to justify yourself, or are you seeking peace, reconciliation? It's not always important to win the issue. It's important to win the brother, isn't it? To win him because that relationship is valued by God and we should be willing to suffer some losses. And if we have the right heart, I'm sure we can work through the issues when we make the relationship a very high priority. Well, also, divine love is pure. Divine love is pure. And by this, I mean the Lord Jesus, when he came to Peter, there was no hidden motives. There was, he was... Uh, in, in his sincere love for Peter, wanted to help Peter make it right. His interest in Peter was perfect. He didn't want to shame him or make him feel bad about what he had done. He wanted to restore him. 
And so we see the purity of his motives. And so often, I would test our hearts on this, when we see somebody who's fallen into sin or we see an error in somebody, sometimes there's this little sinister side of us that wants to see uh, that person hurting or injured because of their sin. It's really a sick side of us that doesn't reflect Christ at all, but it's there nonetheless. Somehow we feel a little more lifted up, a little more righteous than somebody else who's fallen. Now you might say, well, I'm not like that. Well, test your heart carefully. Are your motives pure in how you deal with others? You know, James says, why do you war and fight among yourselves? Is it not because of lust within? You know, there is something inside of us that's envious, that wants to be proud and exalt ourselves. But the Lord Jesus, when he looked at Peter, it was pure love, pure love. How can I help this erring child to turn the right way and walk the right way before me? There's such a beauty in divine love because it doesn't seem to harm harm or hurt of the one it's aimed at. It only seeks the best. And he chose the best way to confront Peter You know, when we think of how the Lord Jesus did this, we might say, well, why didn't he take Peter aside privately? There is a reference to that in 1 Corinthians 15 that says he spoke to Peter. But we don't know what happened at that occasion. But on this occasion, when he is dealing with Peter and we hear the conversation, certainly um, he's not trying to shame him or make him feel bad about what he has done. He's just trying to restore that relationship with Peter. And he could have done it privately, but you have to think about what Peter did. He stood before all of the brethren and he said, Lord, even if all of these fail you, I won't. That was a proud thing for him to say. Like, I'm better than these other guys. I love you more than they do. It's kind of the gist of what he was saying. And so the Lord Jesus doesn't expose him before a large crowd doesn't shame him before others he waits for the right opportunity when his closest friends the ones who when he said I'm going fishing said well Peter we'll come along with you his close companions about half of the disciples and as they're there with him those who love him and care about him more than perhaps others do they're there to listen because they should hear him confess and basically that's what we're hearing in uh, Peter's Uh, words to the Lord Jesus is a bit of a confession that his love is not what he had first thought. I'll explain more of that in a minute. But uh, the Lord Jesus picks the right location, the right time, and the right atmosphere to deal with Peter in just such a beautiful way to restore him. So divine love is pure. Divine love is also personal. And this, I, I love John's gospel in this sense. John's gospel is so personal. Have you ever noticed that? Reading through John's Gospel, you have all these individuals that come up in the text, like Nicodemus, or the woman by the well, or the lame man, or the blind man, or Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in their home. And then you have Thomas, and then you have Peter here. There's all these individuals that come through. And what this shows us is the profound theology of the revelation of the Son of God, the Divine Son, is is taken up by John. But in the midst of all that wonderful theology is God's personal love. He loves the individual. He loves you and I. And notice here in this passage, 
The Lord Jesus is meeting with his disciples, but it seems very clear that that meeting was about Peter. He talks to Peter, doesn't he, personally? And you notice what he does. He doesn't call him Peter here. He says, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? I can almost imagine what the Lord Jesus is saying. Is Simon the man I met three years ago on the lake fishing? The one I called to higher service to be Peter the Rock? Are you willing to give up everything, your career, even your life for me? Because the Lord Jesus uses the word here, agape, for love, and that is the sacrificial love, a love that is willing to give all for the object of which it loves. And Peter responds by saying, Lord, you know that I respect you, I admire you, I'm fond of you, because the word he uses is a different Greek word that conveys the idea of, I'm very fond of you, but he can't bring himself to that point of saying, I'm ready to die for you, agape love. The Lord Jesus asked him a second time, do you love me, agape again? Are you willing to die for me, Peter? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you. I respect you. See, Peter is admitting he can't lift himself to where he once was in the upper room where he was so sure of himself, so sure of his love, saying, I'm ready to die with you. Now he has to say, Lord, I can't say that. And the third time it grieved him. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I'm fond of you. You know I respect you. And we see this personal interchange between the Lord Jesus and Peter and it just unfolds to us the heart of God that he cares about us as individuals he loves us by our name he knows all about us where we were before we met him and all about us now and all our failings he knows everything he knows every thought you ever had every weakness in your life every weakness in your love for him and in spite of that, he comes to you and he says, I love you. I love you so much. He has, as Tim was saying this morning, every hair on your head numbered. He has all your tears counted in a bottle. He knows your every thought and every word. He cares about you that much. Sometimes, you know, we get lost in this world and we feel like a number or a nobody. That's what the world would kind of convey to us the ungodly, selfish world we live in. But learn from this scripture that God loves us as individuals. He cares about us. And I find that a tremendous comfort to my soul. I find it so marvelous and inspiring to know that Jesus loves me. He cares about me. Who am I? Who am I? I'm just dust of the earth, here for a moment. And yet, he has my name written down in heaven. What a marvelous thing. God's love is personal. Another beautiful aspect of, the, of, love, of God's love here is that it's plentiful. It's plentiful. When we think of how the Lord Jesus dealt with Peter, I marvel at what he did. He could have said, Peter, you know, now that we've sorted out this thing about your love and you're not all that you ought to be, you admit that, 
okay, fine, you can be a junior apostle, take the back seat, we'll find some little job for you to do, you can straighten the hymn books after the meeting. But he doesn't do that. He said, Peter, feed my lambs. Now that isn't some judgment or punishment that he's giving to Peter. He's giving to Peter probably the most precious thing he could do. He's giving to him the ones he loves, the ones he purchased with his own blood. And he says, feed them, tend to them, look after them for me. Now, if you're a parent, would you hand the care of your children to just anybody? No, you wouldn't do that. You'd want to make sure the one looking after your child has the same love in their heart as you have for your child and that they're going to care for them. And if your child were in danger, they would do everything to keep them from danger. And so the Lord Jesus, I believe, is saying to Peter, Peter, I want you to love these people as I love them. And I know your love is not what it ought to be. I know now that you've admitted that your love is not what it ought to be, now I can work with you. Now I still want you to take these precious people and love them as I love them and look after them. And what I see in this is God's love is very generous. It's plentiful. His love overflows toward us. We're not worthy of that love, are we? None of us is worthy of God's love. He gives us way beyond what we deserve. And I need to remind myself constantly of this because sometimes I'm so quick to judge and hasty to correct others. I have two Ghanaian boys that live in the house and sometimes they don't always do what they ought to do. And I think, well, I'm going to go fix them or I get a little angry with them. But then I stop and I pray and I say, Lord, help me to deal with your heart in this situation. And often when I pray and I think about it for a minute, I tend to be a little more gracious and gentle and forgiving, a little more understanding, because I think about how he treats me. How does he treat me? How often have I failed him in ways that you know nothing about, but I do. I know what I've done. I know what's gone through my mind. I know the things I've thought and the things I've said and done that are displeasing in his sight. And yet how graciously he deals with me, how he loves me. And so when I want to reflect him to others, I have to be a little more gentle and a little more generous with my love. You know, sometimes in life we're, we're always trying to balance. We're always trying to uh, give judgment and love in, in some kind of equilibrium. You know, if you treat me this way, I'll treat you that way. You said that to me, so I'll say this to you. We're always there. That's how we work in the world. We, we tend to want to balance things, you know. That person doesn't treat me well. Well, I'm not going to treat them well. But, you know, as Christians, we don't need to do that. We can be like our Savior. And we can tip the scales. And we can love with an overflowing love. Because that's the way he loved us when we're not worthy of it. Somebody offends you and hurts you or insults you, replace that with love or return love. And that will be supernatural. And they will see Christ in you. And you will have power in your life to witness when you can do that. Because it's not natural, is it? It's not natural. It's supernatural to return love. So Jesus says, when your enemies 
persecute you and say all manner of evil against you, what are you supposed to do? Do the same? No. You're supposed to pray for them. Love them. That's what divine love is like. We can afford to be generous. He's been very generous to us. In fact, we'll never run out of supplies because His love is infinite. Lastly, divine love is perfect. Divine love is perfect. What I mean by this is divine love is sufficient to meet us in all our need. Notice that P Peter denied the Lord three times. Three times he said, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I'm not associated with him. With oaths and curses. But the Lord Jesus says to Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? As if to say, no matter how much you fail, no matter how far you go, my love is sufficient to meet you there. You see, he reached him to all his failures. And you know, sometimes in life we feel like we've gone too far. We've sinned too many times. Oh, I've done it again, Lord. And we think he's going to cast us away. How can he use me? How can he love me when I fail him again? But if one thing we can see here, that God's love is sufficient. It's perfect. He doesn't quit on us. He never quits. Throughout the Bible, we see that God is the God of restoration. And He doesn't quit. One of the great lessons of the Bible, I believe, and the whole Old Testament teaches us this, that God does not give up on His people. You take from the time of Abraham and the promises He made to that man to the present day, which have not fully been fulfilled, he has followed these people, these Jewish children of Abraham, through all their rebellion, through their countless miserable failures of denying him over and over, falling into idolatry. Even today when you go to Israel, you see the, the rebellion uh, against God's plan and purpose. And yet God is not done with them. He doesn't give up. His love is perfect and will follow us through. We see this in the story of the prodigal son when he runs away and spends all his father's living and he repents in his heart and he says, I will go home and I will tell him I have sinned. And we see a picture into the heart of God, don't we? When the father sees the son coming, doesn't even listen to his, his repentant report. He just comes and surrounds him with his love and embraces him and says, Welcome home, my son. Welcome home. That's what God's love is like. It's perfect. There's no flaw in his love. Yet we judge love sometimes by our own standards of love, which is weak and wavering and failing. But God's love is never like that. We can rest in his love, knowing that no matter how far we've fallen, how far we get away from him, there's always a road home. There's always a way to return to him because he loves us perfectly. No matter how much we soil our garments, how deep the pit we fall into, he is willing to dust us off, pick us up, and send us on our way, and even give us so much more than we deserve. When you look at Peter, you wonder, he would be fortunate if he just got to be a junior apostle or something, but the Lord gives him so much more. He becomes a pillar of the early church. And wouldn't you want to be a pillar for him? <laughs> wouldn't you want to be a pillar for him? 
when you consider how much he loves you, all the mistakes you've made, all the failures, all the times you've denied him, and he still loves you so much, so perfectly, and he sends you on your way and says, you're my disciple, I love you, serve my name, proclaim my name to the world, and allow that love to flow through your heart. So divine love has many beautiful aspects that we can meditate on. I, I love this hymn, I wrote it down for you. The love of God is greater far than, than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. Now, as you listen to this message about divine love, I want you to challenge your heart today. I mean, the reason we look into this and consider the divine love of God is to uh, not only admire it, but to emulate it. And so we can ask ourselves, is there somebody in my life who I have allowed some gap or distance? Is there an offense between me and someone else? For Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So think of that, pray about it, and maybe you can take away from this message a positive plan to make it right with whoever it is in your life that there's a rift or a difficulty. Perhaps it will inspire you to walk more closely to the Lord and to learn to love as he loved. Let's pray that God would help us to do so so that others will see that supernatural love in our life as we seek to follow him faithfully. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this beautiful story of your dealing with Peter, a failing disciple, but one beloved of the Lord, and one whom you restored and sent on his way to be a mighty man of God. Father, when we look at our own lives, we wonder how you could ever use us rotten sinners as we are and yet Lord you are pleased to manifest your love in our life and so we pray that you would be pleased to manifest your love through us as well that we would learn how to be patient and persistent and seek peace how we can be pure in our love and how we can be personal as well caring about individuals how we can be generous and plentiful. And Father, we pray that someday we too will have some reflection of your perfect love. Father, we ask you to bless this message and the Spirit of God will use it for your purposes. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.